that is my favorite. In fact, if you call me on my cell phone, that's my ringtone. And if I could capture their, them on recording, then I would make you, my handbell choir, my ringtone. But All right. As it stands, it's the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Carol of the Bells, that's my ringtone. But anyway, I love that Carol of the Bells. Thank you, Handbell Choir, for sharing that with us this morning. I want you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, first chapter. You know, much of Christmas is anticipation, is it not? You know, these children who've waited all year, you know, you know how long they've been waiting for Christmas? Since last Christmas. <laughs> all year they've waited for those presents again. Uh, and as soon as the Christmas season starts, they start that, I mean, their anticipation just amps up even more. And when the decorations start going up and the music starts playing again, and then that you, you start putting those presents under the tree, man, they're dying to see what's in those presents. But they still have to wait to Christmas morning to unwrap them and to reveal what's inside. Imagine the anticipation before the first Christmas. Prophecies hundreds of years before foretold of this coming Messiah. They didn't know who he would be. They didn't exactly know when he would come. But he was going to be their king. He was going to be born of a virgin. He was going to be their Messiah. He was going to be... In the flesh, finally, after 400 years of silence from God, then our Savior, Jesus Christ, the long-awaited one, has been born. But the funny thing is, is that many didn't know it. You know, there's only just a handful, in fact, really just a couple of people that really grasped what had happened. There was Mary and there was Joseph. And then the wise men came and they grasped. And then the angels revealed to the shepherds and, and they began to understand who this was. And then we meet Simeon and Anna and they begin to understand that this revelation of, of God himself in the flesh, this mystery of the ages. Paul wrote about this in Romans 16. He says, Now to him who is able to establish you According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience of faith. Paul is saying that Jesus, the, the message of God, the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ was like a message hidden, wrapped up in a mystery. But at the right time, when at the first Christmas, this mystery was revealed. It was unwrapped. It was made known. He spoke of it again in Colossians 1. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, it wasn't just a revelation to the Jews, but Paul also speaks that this mystery has been revealed 
to the Gentiles, and that's you and me. This mystery, this revelation of God himself was to all men. It's a mystery that God would love us. It's a mystery that he would come down and live among us. It's a mystery that he would take our sin and our punishment upon himself. It's a mystery that he would forgive us and save us. But see, Jesus is the big reveal of Christmas. The mystery has been revealed. Turn with me or look at John chapter 1 and let's stand together as we read the first 18 verses. The gospel writer says, In the beginning was the Word. Notice that word is capitalized. There's a reason for that. Because the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word was a He. Verse 2 tells us, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this word became flesh. Now we know who this word is, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, please reveal to us afresh and anew the Lord Jesus Christ, that You would deepen our love for Him, our devotion to Him, our faith in Him, and our witness unto Him. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Over the next four weeks, we're going to study this passage, these 18 verses, and we're going to look at four things that Jesus revealed through His incarnation, that is, Him becoming flesh. And the first thing is what we're going to look at this morning Jesus revealed life. The Bible says in verse 4, In him was life. Now James 4, 
14 asks this question. What is your life? Think about that for a moment. What is your life? If someone were to interview you on the street, a reporter walks up and sticks a microphone in your face, and he asks this question, what is your life? Think about that. On the spot, what would you answer? Just like that, what would you say? What is your life? Is it your career? Some of you would answer, well, I'm a whatever. Is it your job? Is it your career? Is it your work? Is it making sure that your needs are met? Jesus said, life is more than food, and the body's more than clothing. Your life is more than you're just making sure that all your basic necessities are met. There's more to life than that. That's not your life. Well, is it your possessions? Jesus said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Is it your pleasures? The Bible says, the one who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead, even while he or she lives. James says, what is your life? It's a vapor. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. It's the dash between the day you were born and the date you will die. How would you describe what is your life? I wonder how many of us would say without hesitation and with all truth and sincerity, Jesus is my life. He is my everything. Not just without hesitation, but in all truth and honesty that we could say that's true for me. Jesus is my life. That's the goal that we're all attaining to that Jesus be our everything. So what is your life? It's nothing apart from Christ. It's what Jesus said in John 15, 5. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you are nothing. I am nothing apart from Christ. So at his incarnation, Jesus reveals that he is the source of life. Look at verse 3. John 1, verse 3, all things were made through him. He's speaking of Jesus. And without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. So if Jesus was there at creation, that means he existed before his incarnation. Incarnation means something becoming flesh. God existed. Jesus existed in heaven with the Father as as the Son, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see them at creation when God said, let us make man in our image. Who's us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was a participant in creation. The Bible, Paul, the apostle, affirms this in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 16. He's speaking of Jesus again. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus is the source of life. Jesus is where your life, your physical, real life came from. So that's why he ought to be your life, because he's the source of your life. And the Bible says, Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 26, 
He says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And then John also recorded these words in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning. There it is again. Jesus was from the beginning. He said, which John says, we've heard him. We saw him with our own eyes. We looked upon him. Our hands handled him. Concerning, here he uses the phrase again, the word of life. The life was manifested. That is, the life became flesh. That life was revealed. It was something we could see. And he said, and we have seen, and we bear witness. And so therefore, we're declaring to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. See, Jesus and the Scriptures affirm that Jesus is the source of life. All life is from Christ. All life is through Christ. Even before He was born, even before He was crucified, even before He was resurrected, Jesus Christ is the source of life. But he's also the sustainer of life. You're here today because of Christ. You may be lost and headed to hell, but you're here today because Christ brought you here. You're, he's your source and he's your sustainer. The air you're breathing, he created. The seat that you're, the wood that's holding you up in that seat, he created those trees. The food that you eat today, he created. He's the sustainer of life. We read Colossians 1.16 about Him creating all things. Verse 17 says, And by Him all things, or in Him all things, consist. Good way to understand that word consist means to continue to exist. All things are created by Him, and all things continue to exist because of Him. There's one moment in time He could do that, and it would all be over. In fact, it's going to happen. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3 that the elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth will be destroyed. The sun, the moon, the stars, everything is going to be destroyed when Christ commands it. But right now he's sustaining it. We're told that if the earth were even a fraction of an inch closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. A fraction of an inch further, we'd all freeze. Who is holding that? Jesus. He's the sustainer of life. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.3, he upholds all things by the word of his power. And Luke 22, 35, Jesus asked his disciples, he, when, he sent, when, he, when they came back, he said, when I sent you out without money, without knapsack. Now, what's a knapsack? It's a, sack, it's a snack bag. How many of you travel without goodies? So y'all are human too. I travel with good. I know Brian Price travels with goodies. Brian don't. Brian has goodies all the time. That boy can eat. A knapsack. He said when I Christ said when I sent you out without money. You didn't have room. You didn't have money for a hotel room. You didn't have money for gas. He said when I sent you out without a knapsack, without goodies, without food. And without necessary clothing, even without sandals. He even told him, don't even take an extra pair of clothes. He said, I sent you with every, the only, all you could carry. The only thing you had was the clothes on your back. He asked this, did you lack anything? And what did they say? Nothing. 
But see, we think that that's our life. We think we've got to have goodies at Christmas. Woo! Goodies at Christmas. Don't you love Thanksgiving and Christmas? What if you didn't have the goodies? Would it still be Christmas? What if you weren't getting a new whatever it is? What if you weren't getting any gifts? Is Christ still enough? Hmm. I wonder if we should try that one year. All the kids are going, No! Don't listen to Brother Lee! Even without all of that, we would lack nothing with Christ. John chapter 6, verse 32 and 33. Jesus said, Assuredly, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, referring to the manna that fell in the wilderness. He said, But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And verse 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'm going to read something from a book by Jonathan Kahn. He's the one who authored uh, The Harbinger and its follow, its sequel. He's writing as a pilgrim or as a traveler said, we were sitting in the desert sand, and the teacher offered me some bread, which I accepted. Lechem, he said. It's Hebrew for bread. The word is used in Jewish prayers to represent food and sustenance. Why do you think bread is so important, he asked. Because it's the staff of life. It's a basic necessity. It sustains us. It keeps us alive. It's, it's what we need. That's correct teacher said. In Hebrew, the word for place or house is bet. When you put bet together with lechem, you get bet lechem, which would mean the place of bread or the house of bread. And what would you expect to find in the house of bread? Bread, of course. You'd expect to find bread, the staff of life in the house of bread. You'd expect to find that which sustains you, what you need above all things. He said, I don't understand. He said, only because you don't recognize it yet. He said, recognize what? Bethlehem, the house of bread. You already know it. It's what? Bethlehem, the house of bread. Micah prophesied about the coming Messiah. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. He said, and so it's there that we find the bread, that which we need most, that which sustains us, our basic, most basic necessity, the staff of life in Bethlehem. Yes, said the teacher, so if what we needed most was money, 
If money was the bread of our lives, then we would find, we would find it in Bethlehem. The house of bread would be money. If what we needed most was success, then we'd find success there. Or if what was acceptance or pleasures or substances or careers or possessions or anything else that we desired, if any of those things were what we needed most, then that's what we would have found in Bethlehem. But we didn't find any of those things there. What is it that we found in Bethlehem? We found Jesus. We find God came down into our lives. So what does that reveal? It reveals that more than anything else, we need him. Christ is the sustainer of life. You cannot live without him. And I mean you cannot live without maintaining a close connection, intimate relationship with Christ. You cannot live apart from his word. You cannot live without communication to him. You have no life apart from Christ. He's also the satisfaction of life. Jesus had many I am statements in the Gospel of John. In fact, there are seven. One of the things he said is in John 10, 10, he said, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. He said, but I've come that they may have life and have it how? More abundantly. You know, the devil is alive and well. And he seeks to make your life miserable. Even if you're saved, he cannot have your soul because that belongs to God. But he can still work in your life to create misery. He can work to destroy things around you. Seeks to kill, steal, steal your joy. Only if you let him. Rob you of, of the things that, uh, uh, that really matter in life. Love. Joy, peace, contentment. And, and he can distract us and, and tempt us to believe that the things that the world has to offer are much more satisfying than the things God has to offer. In fact, we see this in the temptation of Christ. When the devil offered him three things that Jesus needed or maybe even wanted because he was a human being, the devil offered him those things to... He said, I'll, here's how I can satisfy those things for you. He said, command those stones to become bread. Now, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. Do you not think he was hungry? He was hungry. But he resisted the temptation. He resisted that basic need, that urge to eat. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the pinnacle of a temple and he he showed him all the i don't know this was let me i'm getting ahead of myself he took him to the pinnacle of the temple and he said jump from the pinnacle of the temple he said because and i'm paraphrasing here you're so important that if you jump off the bible says that the, the angels will rescue you not you're not one you wouldn't stump your foot on not even a stone they would rush down to rescue you and you would not you would not kill be killed in fact Everybody would know, oh, this must be the Son of God if the angels are rescuing him. In other words, you came to be known, to be loved, to be the Savior. This is one way. If you just jump off, everybody will know because the angels will rescue you. And Jesus resisted that temptation to be known, to be popular the devil's way. 
And he said, then the devil took him up upon a high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. All the, and and one, God had already promised Jesus that one day, son, I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of the world. Well, first of all, he was there to creation. But he said in Psalm 2, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. So here's the devil saying, here, I'll give you, I'll give you a shortcut. You don't have to wait. You can have it now. Immediate gratification, you can have it now. If you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus again resisted the temptation. And he had to go the way of the Father. You see, we think that there's satisfaction in the things of the world. And the devil's always going to offer you and me a shortcut to satisfaction. There's no substitute for Jesus. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly, period. Okay, so then I ask the question, more abundantly than what? Than the devil offers. More abundantly than I could ever produce on my own. More abundantly than the things of this world. I can have life. The Bible says, the psalmist said in Psalm 1611, he said, in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friends, if you've not tasted the joy and the delight of being just you and God, you don't know what you're missing. There's nothing that can substitute for the pleasures of being in His presence and being with Him and walking in His Spirit and going about life with Christ on the throne of your heart. I shared in Sunday school just a brief testimony. I know the difference when that's true in my life and when that's not true. I can feel it inside. I know my wife knows the difference of how I act. My kids know the difference. Maybe even you know the difference in me. But I know how it is when, when I'm just going along in the, in the flesh and I'm just doing things because it's, it's my job to do it. But I know how it feels also to be walking in the Spirit. I know how it is to love the Lord God with all my heart. And that's where it's joyful. That's where it's happy. That's where it's content. That's where it's at. That's where life is. And I know the difference. Over here, it ain't life. It's doing life, but it ain't life. And there's so many people that are doing life, and they're not living. Jesus is the source, and he's the sustainer, and he's the satisfaction of life. You know, some people call Christmas Xmas. And I'll tell you why. They leave Christ out, and you know what they get? Exhaustion. Excuses. Exchanges. Excesses. Extravagances. Exasperations. And just worldly excitement. Because life without Christ is an X. Christ is the source, the sustainer, the satisfaction of life. But he's here, my friends, as the Savior of life. In John chapter 1, verse 11, it says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Can you imagine how terrible that felt? To not be believed, to be rejected. But it said, as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority, to become children of God. Now listen, 
There's a prevailing philosophy in our world that just because you're created by God, you're a, children, you're a child of God. That's not true. That's not biblical. Not everybody here today is a child of God. Some of you are lost. You're apart from Christ. The only way you get to become a child of God is you have... How, do you, how'd you get, how did you get to become a child of your parents? You were born, or you were adopted, right? You had to sign... There was a document that was signed called a birth certificate that you were actually born. There, if you were adopted, there's also a certificate saying that you were adopted. You've got papers to prove that you belong to this family. You see, when you become a child of God, you are born again. He says that in verse 13. Who were born, not of blood, not of physical birth, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but the will of God. And he said in John 3 to Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Born into the family of God. Born as a child of God. And that's an act of God that God does for you. But he does it through Jesus Christ. Through our faith. He said, as many as received him. He said, he came to his own. Some did not receive him, but some did. So there's a choice there. You have a choice. He came to give you life. But you have to accept that. You have to receive that life. As many as received him, have you received Christ as your life, as your Savior? Verse 29, here's what happens. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You say, I can't come to Christ because I'm full of sin. He knows that. Every one of us were full of sin and unfortunately still commit sin from time to time. You think, oh, I'm too guilty. God would not forgive me. I cannot come. I've got to get cleaned up first. I've got to get right. No, you don't. How are you going to get clean without the cleansing agent? He's the cleansing agent. It's by his blood. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there is no cleaning, cleansing of sin. There's no remission. There's no forgiveness. So how are you going to clean yourself up without coming to Christ? Well, I'm just going to turn over a new leaf. It's just as rotten on the other side. You've got to bring it to Jesus. All your filth, all your scum, all your dirtiness, as embarrassing and as shameful as you feel, you say, Lord, here it is. And I'm so sorry. And I'm so ashamed. And the Bible says, behold the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away. He just goes, okay, thank you. He takes it away from you. And the Bible says he casts it as far as the east is from the west. And he remembers it no more. So now there's nothing between you and him. And now he's your Savior. He's given you real life. That's what he says in John 3, 15 and 16. For whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, that could be you, believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He says in verse 36, He who believes in the son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, he told Mary and Martha, the sister of Lazarus who had died. Martha and Mary were concerned. Jesus wasn't there when Lazarus died. If Jesus would have been there, they told him, he, he said, my, they, the girls said, my brother wouldn't have died. My brother wouldn't have died if he'd have been here. Jesus looked at Martha and Mary and said, I am the resurrection. 
He that believes in me, Jesus said, though he were dead, that is, even though he dies, yet, still yet, shall he live. And then he turned to them and he said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you? Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe. And Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he was preparing his disciples for his departure. Him leaving earth, him, him actually being crucified and then being buried and then later ascending, later rising from the dead and then ascending to be with the Father. He was preparing them for his absence from them. And he tells them, don't let your heart be troubled. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. And he tells them about the Father's house and the many mansions. And he tells them, I'm coming back for you to receive you back to myself. He said, and you know the way. And, and, and Philip said, or Thomas said, Lord, we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going and we don't know the way. And that's the way many people are, even maybe some of you here today. We don't know the way. Jesus made it clear in verse 6. He said to Philip and Thomas and to his disciples, he says to you this morning, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Notice the definite article, the. I am not a way. I'm not a truth. I'm not a life. I am the. When you took basic English, you learned that definite article, the, means what? Only. The one and only. Jesus is the one and only way to what? God, to heaven, to life. He's the only truth. All truth is his truth. If it's true, it's his. If it's a lie, it's the devil's. And he's the life. There's only life in Christ. For the wages of sin is death. We can keep on in our sin, but it will keep producing the consequence of sin. is death. Death in your relationships. Death in your finances. Death in your career. Death, 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 death. And then ultimately, the second death, which is hell. Eternal separation from God. But he says the gift of God, the big reveal of Christmas, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. our greatest need had been information God would have sent us an educator if our greatest need had been technology God would have sent us a scientist if our greatest need had been money God would have sent us an economist if our greatest need had been pleasure God would have sent us an entertainer but our greatest need was forgiveness of sin so God sent us Savior, and his name is Jesus. So here's the bottom line in 1 John chapter 5. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Listen to this verse. This is how you measure your life. 
Remember that reporter on the street that stuck his microphone in your face and asked the question, what is your life? This is how you answer it. He who has the Son has what? Life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You're just living, but you have no life. These things I have written to you that who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. What are you asking for this Christmas? What would you like to receive? What surprise would you like to unwrap this year? Say, I'm not a kid. Yeah, you are. You know you want stuff. Come on, quit playing spiritual games with Jesus. He knows your heart. Imagine opening up one of your gifts this Christmas. And it met every need of your life. You would never need another gift because you opened that one. How many of you have ever gotten a gift at Christmas like that before? Me either. I've never gotten a gift that met every need of my life at Christmas that I could unwrap that was under the tree because there's no such thing because it doesn't come under a tree. It doesn't come in a box. It doesn't come wrapped in wrapping paper. But everybody here has been given a gift that meets every need of your life. It's time that we receive him, be devoted to him, and give him our all. That he be our life. And when he is our life, you will know the difference. You will know the difference. Let's pray.